0: Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast, a member of the Compliance Podcast Network hosted by my partner in compliance, Lisa Fine, and me, Mary Shirley. Today, we have another bonus episode for you. If you're relatively new to our listenership, first, I'd like to welcome you and then let you know that bonus episodes are ones which don't feature great women in compliance, but canvas topics and share ideas that are of interest to great women in compliance and or advance and empower our great women in compliance. Today's guest is Jared Knapp. Thank you for joining us, Jared. Please give us a rundown on your background.
1: First, Mary, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I'm... From the Midwest, grew up, did all my schooling there, including uh, law school. I now live down in uh, the great state of Texas, uh, north of Dallas, and I'm head of sanctions and export compliance for a composite material company. Uh, you know, if you're wondering, what does somebody in export or sanctions compliance do? Um, I essentially help the company protect and/or transfer items or technology in compliance with the regulations. So that's that's a little bit of a background on me.
0: Awesome, thank you for that. So folks, the focus of today's episode is bringing a culture of integrity into the hiring process for compliance professionals. And this is a topic that I've touched on previously, in a soliloquy episode, which I think I very simply named soliloquy too. So I'm fully on board with this issue, Um, but I'd love to know for you, Jared, why is it something that's important to you?
1: The importance kind of rings, you know, I went through the ringer when I first, especially came out of law school looking for my first job. You know, I applied to countless number of positions. The experience was greatly different depending on who I was applying with. You know, some of them you never heard back. And if you checked your status, it may still say pending actually after, you know, now six years for me. Never got it, never had that. Interaction that I was really looking for, and it—it it was kind of a disappointment. Especially, um, you know, when you're coming out of school, you're excited, or if you're looking for a new position. So um, I can really break it down to kind of two areas why it's really important to me is one, people matter. Um, you know, growing up, I was in a small knit community where you know you really had a connection with people there, and um, have. of a really close-knit family too, and I've always been taught that people matter. No matter what level they're at and whether it's career-wise or just where they're at in the community, you really need to make sure that everyone's um, treated the same across the board. And the other thing, being a niche area of compliance, is um, the culture breeds attitudes and behaviors. So, really, being in this niche area, I want to make sure that you know the people that are being um, recruited and being able to give opportunities. Their attitudes and the behaviors that we're creating within this small niche area is ones that we all want to be a part of instead of as some of them you know can be very cutthroat you know people are trying to stab each other in the backs for promotions and I don't. I really don't want that out of compliance I want it to be a very um, community type effort so those are two big reasons why I see this as important
0: yeah I, I fully agree with you and um, for me it's along similar lines that we are supposed to be the ethical and almost moral guardians of our company. So it should at the very least, if it doesn't start with us, uh, we certainly can't be propounding bad behavior. And so I think it's um, incumbent on us to take some responsibility for the hiring process, even though it may not fall completely under our umbrella. We have our partners in HR, particularly talent acquisition for those of us who are in larger companies, Um, And so we've got to think about this as a broader team and not just specifically what can we in compliance do, but also how can we foster the culture of integrity that we uh, like to push out in respect of, obviously, the regulatory compliance, which I think falls um, under a lot of what you do. And then, of course, there is the wider embrace of um, ethical behaviours more generally falling under the compliance rubric. So, Um, in in terms of the fact that I think we can say in in some respects that the hiring process is broken, tell us a little bit more about what you think it is specifically that's gone wrong. What are the issues?
1: Yeah, I I think you have a few few areas. One, you know, speaking of somebody who's applied to jobs in the past and knowing other people who are still going through it, and you see, uh, you can go on LinkedIn or read a whole bunch of articles on this, is the the human touch has kind of been lost in a lot of it, right? And I think that frustrates a lot of people. I know it frustrated me. Is you apply for a job, if you don't know anybody and know anyone in the company, you're going to get automated messages. And it, it that disconnect there is just really frustrating because you feel like you have a lot to give to this organization. You really want the opportunity, maybe because you're out of a job or you're looking for that next step in your career. And a lot of times we just want somebody to listen and know we've been heard. And I'm at a lot better peace with myself if I apply for a job, talk to a human, and determine, hey, it's just not a good fit, versus getting an automated message a month later and saying, we've decided to move on, and having no context around that. So I I think that's one big thing that's been broken. Um, I know, you know, recruiters and companies are trying to fill positions left and right. So it's not like they have, you know, all the time in the world either, but, um, still losing that element has, um, been a really big issue. Um, I I think the other thing within compliance specifically is there's still some misunderstanding of what a compliance professional looks like. Um, you know, you, you see some crazy outrageous job descriptions sometimes where you're like, who, who are these people looking for? Like, you know, even if you have great connections within your network, you're like, there may be three people that can fit that and the level they're asking just doesn't make any sense. So you can see that real disconnect there. Um, You know, you see some positions filled for compliance where it's attorneys with no experience whatsoever who knows what compliance is. Uh, You see some people thinking maybe it should be operations, finance. You talk to other people and they've been admins or accidentally falling into the industry. So I think those two things within the compliance world are where really seeing a huge disconnect. And um, that's filtering then into your experience uh, as uh, someone applying for an actual job.
0: And you mentioned that, you know, sometimes you have an insider in a company and that can be quite useful. And it's what traditionally we've been told to do is leverage off a relationship that you may have in a company that you are thinking about applying at or you have applied at. But I think sometimes people struggle with, what it is that you should be asking of this person, especially if you've never worked with them before. So you know that they can't vouch for you in terms of being a good employee. Um, and then there's a, a struggle on the other side and that when someone's on the receiving end of that message, I, I'm not sure that people always necessarily are very good about responding either at all or, um, or even being very helpful to the person who's reaching out. So I'd like to get your thoughts on, um, what do you think is the best approach if it's someone that you've not worked with maybe um a relatively weak connection um but you figure it's worth the trouble of of doing some cold outreach um, what what should the job hunter how should they be framing their ask
1: yeah that that's a great question um because me personally I know in the past I used to reach out to everybody I, and I I kind of got over the shame of, a, of saying, hey, if people want to help me, they'll help me. If they say no and don't respond, then OK, that's great. what You know what? Whatever. Like, no big deal. We, we didn't have this huge connection. So you really didn't have much to lose, I guess, in the sense of, you know, like you're not risking a friendship or things like that. So it was a numbers game. But um, what I've definitely learned, um, the best approach, and you can kind of think of it. You know, most of your friends, most of your colleagues, if you've really wanted something, you know, everybody hates somebody coming up just out of nowhere and just saying, Hey, can you do this for me? Uh, it, you're not going to get a lot of response there, especially if they don't know you. You may get a very, there may just be genuinely nice people out there who want to help and they realize, Oh, this person's going through something similar that I did, or I know other people. So they'll still respond. But just asking of something generally doesn't work in a lot of things. Even if you think about like salespeople, the really good salespeople cultivate a relationship first. Mm-hmm. They, they start out with a less aggressive manner. So that's, that's the approach that I would like to say, you know, you need to take, especially with weak connections and the weaker they are, mm-hmm. don't just start up and saying, hey, I love this job. Can you help me out? Mm-hmm. Because if they don't know you, I mean, why would, why would they want to go out of their way? So really try and cultivate a relationship when you first reach out. Say, hey, I'm really interested in your company. This is kind of my background. Can we have a conversation of like opportunities there or what you like about this company, some of the challenges, and really throw the interest back on them. Show that you're interested in what they do, what they do within that company, because people love talking about themselves, right? So if you can kind of do that to start it off, And then after you have an initial conversation, then a lot of times those weak connections can be really part of your tribe in terms of looking for new positions. But don't just start out with an ask.
0: Yeah, that's excellent advice. Um, uh, I'll share a a contrasting example that I've had fairly recently where um, a gentleman wrote to me and said, Mary, uh, tell me if there are any roles coming up at Fresenius and Compliance soon. Versus a woman who wrote to me and said, um, thank you so much for connecting with me. I just wanted to let you know I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Thank you for your contribution to the compliance community. And about two months later, she wrote to me again and she said, I know that we haven't um, been connected for very long, but um, I would really appreciate your help and that uh, I've just applied, I've just been offered a role and I've never been uh, offered one at this level before. I'd like to negotiate for a bit more money, but I'm not sure how. And I was thrilled to be able mm-hmm. to send her some resources, give her some of my own thoughts based on my own anecdotal experience and so what the first thing I think is manners matter if you're asking for a favor you've got to be throwing pleas in there somewhere and not making a demand of someone and like you explained Jared she'd she'd taken some effort to lay the groundwork first to build her network before she needed it and I, I know that we've talked a lot about that on this podcast generally but the other one that we have mentioned before is working on your self-branding. So for me, when I sometimes receive a resume from someone that's applied for a job at my company, um, what I try to do for everyone is make sure that it gets flagged to the hiring manager. I feel that's uh, one of the least things that I can do as well as offer to speak to the person like you suggested and say, um, I can tell you about my hiring experience with the company I can tell you what areas of compliance we're prioritizing at the moment so you can pull out where you might have strengths and synergies if I can use a buzzword in your profile that match with the job so you know how to highlight them in interview. Um, and so uh, that's a, a way in which you can help on the if you're on the receiving side of the request is to to think more about what you can offer and I try to do those things. Um, at a minimum, but I can always go the extra mile if it's someone that I've seen post really thoughtful things on LinkedIn, if they've written articles, if they've taken Mm -hmm. an analysis of a case and put up their thoughts. So so then I can write to the hiring manager with something more than, you know, would you do me a favor and take a look at this resume for the job you've got open and say, I haven't worked with this person before, but I can tell you that from what I've seen, uh, they really know their stuff about compliance. I think that'd be, you know, potentially worth an interview or whatever. So the more effort that you go to in terms of being a thought leader and able to prove yourself outside of your company could very well help you with these insider approaches that you make later on, even if they're cold ones.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, if I if I receive some questions over, you know, trade compliance, uh, people are trying to understand that, if I. If I look at their profile and see they've been engaged in several things, trade and have a true, genuine interest, then mm-hmm. that that tends to gravitate me more to doing more to mm-hmm. try and point them in the right direction. Um, not to say if I looked at them and, you know, they're coming fresh out of school or looking for a transition or mm-hmm. something like that, I wouldn't stop that, but um, definitely on the the receiving the receiving side of that, it, it is important um, when you see that they've they've gone through some steps and they are truly genuinely interested and maybe they captivate your attention on some of the posts too. Mm-hmm. And that's easier to go to bat for somebody on that side. But I, I think you also make a really good point too. And um, if you are on the receiving side, not just to always cut it off if you're, I guess, not interested in helping them for a specific position. If we can do our best to point them to resources to help, um, Mm -hmm. whether it's recruiters specific to the industry Mm -hmm. or saying, hey, these networking events could help you out or meet new people, have you been reading or engaged with these types of news resources or something Mm -hmm. like that, giving something back, you, you know, you don't have to always devote all your time to helping Mm -hmm. somebody, but just giving a little nugget here and Mm -hmm. there, I think is a really good responsible uh, response from Mm -hmm. us in terms of just saying, Hey, we're listening. Maybe it doesn't resonate to like, we can't help you with everything right now, but showing that you're listening and responding. Mm -hmm. I think that gives a lot of people hope, Mm-hmm. Uh, which in a lot of these instances uh, you know people need more hope and in terms of looking for their next roles especially if they're getting automated responses after mm-hmm. automated responses so we we can do a better job on that end of um uh, facil- facilitating those conversations
0: i love that that taking responsibility because i think it brings it right back down to ethical responsibility in many mm-hmm. ways um and and just a we plug for you know as you may know um dear listener we have a book called sending the elevator back down and the Mm -hmm. whole premise of course of that is the idea that once you reach a certain level of success it really is incumbent on you to pay it forward in some way and this is a really small uh cost effective way that you can do that for people so um i think that tie in with this being ethical it's the right thing to do to give someone who's asking for help help if if you're able to do so, give that type of support in return.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so we've talked a little bit about some of the um, undesirable aspects. What is your vision Mm -hmm. for a movement to help remediate the status quo? So what tangible steps would you like to ask of everyone listening who has a role in the hiring process in their organizations to make changes for the better?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot. Especially, we're in a unique position in compliance. It, it's a growing field still. I mean, it's you know, you, uh, there's a lot of new professionals to it, and a lot of people interested in getting compliance roles and compliance and ethics. And it's going to continue to grow, but it still is kind of a niche area. And within compliance, there's even more niche areas. So I feel like we have a lot of power in the respect of you know, we can really shape of how the hiring process is created. It's not, you know, compared to some of the larger roles where there's just people coming in and out, you don't really have a lot of power in those instances. So, uh, one thing I do think is important is the education part. So, the conversations with the recruiters who are handling a lot of your open roles, uh, conversations with the hiring managers um, and talent acquisition and HR within your company of really laying out, you know, what's expected within compliance and ethics roles, how we expect people to be treated, um, and what those roles look like, who those professionals are. Um, because it's two-sided, right? You, you know, you have... You as a hiring manager, you're not going to deal with a lot of the people who probably end up getting rejected. You're going to deal with the shortlisted candidates in most of the cases. So really setting that standard to the recruiters of, hey, we need to make sure that we're treating people this way because I expect it. But within this small industry, you never know when you're going to have another role and need to have somebody of high caliber, which could have been one of your early applications that didn't make it through the process um the other thing that i think we really need to do and is discuss how to let people know that they're not going to have a job too or not be selected for it i think you know it's easy the goal is to hire somebody new and fill the position because you have a problem or you you know whether it's resource wise or a gap within your industry so I think a lot of times we don't ever discuss, well, how do we want to let people know that they're not selected for a position? Is there a unique way that you can go about it? I've seen some recent articles about some companies saying like, hey, although you have awesome qualifications or something along those lines. Um, we just didn't see you right for this specific role, but we have no doubt that you're going to crush it in your endeavors going forward. Like little unique things like that or things signed off from an individual instead of just an automated message. I mean, most likely, is it automated to some point? Yes, but there's a an actual name down below. Like Things like that, I think, can really start to help to break down this process and make people feel better about the application process, the hiring process, and bring it more to a level of integrity that we should expect within our industry.
0: Yeah, I love that, checking in with HR. I think too often in the past, they've said to me, don't worry, Mary, we'll take care of this part of, you know, the next part of the process. And I've gone, okay. And gone on yeah. my literal Mary way. But, um, and that I make the mistake that my mother often calls me out for, which is assuming or expecting people to act to my own standards. And so um, that's when we can start asking mm-hmm. questions as you've indicated, Jared, in, in conversation in terms of getting at, okay, well, I'd love to hear more about, you know, when you when you take care of it, what, is, what does that mean? Can you walk me through the steps? Um, or can I take some responsibility? You know, we talked about that personal touch. If the HR screening mm-hmm. person is someone that they may not have talked to very much in the process, but you as a hiring manager had a a great lengthy conversation with them. Potentially there were several more rounds. Uh, What I've done in the past is say, I'd like to make the calls um, or I would like to, to do the email to let people know. Um, And I try to, if it's calls, usually I I don't call for um, letting people know that they've not been successful. Um, I I feel like that gets people's hopes up actually to give them a call when they've missed out, because I always assume, oh my God, it's (laughs) an (laughs) offer. Right, right. So, um, but when I am calling during the process generally... Um, to to let people know they've made it through to the next round or whatever. Um, I like to do that sort of in the evening so that they're not stuck Mm -hmm. during their work day. I mean, you're getting paid to do a job still when you're, uh, you shouldn't be spending your whole day um, looking for jobs uh, if you're already in a current one. So I try to give people the ability to speak in their free time um, and then take on the responsibility of doing an email. And I I love, you know, you giving a reason. I, I think some people are reticent to give a reason Um, because they fear uh, any kind of interpretation of it being an unlawful discrimination ground. Yeah. Um, And so it's hard to get feedback in those circumstances, but something that you triggered when you were saying that for me was um, why not take something that you really loved about that person and interview something Mm -hmm. that they did really well, or that emphasized a skill and put that in there. That's just, you know, it's throwing someone a bone when they need it the most, especially if they've, you know, basically come runner-up in your process, um, so that they know that, you know, the the next, the 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 next offer is is just around the corner because they are so fabulous. So I really love that you um put that thought out there to emphasize something awesome, give them the encouragement. And for anyone who's particularly conscious about unlawful discrimination. Um, I would imagine that you'd be steering clear of it by taking that approach.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's obviously a, a legitimate concern um, <laughs> with the hiring process. But yeah, I, I do think there is some room to kind of be more creative in the hiring process. Um, I think it's you know, it's everybody's gone a certain way with the ability to track resumes and things like that, that it's kind of become this, this is how things are done. Mm-hmm. And I always think it's a danger within any industry you're at or with whatever topic you're discussing, is if people start to say this is just the way it's done, yeah. um yeah, then, the then you're closing your mind to some possibilities there.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I, that triggers another thought in my mind is something that we could consider doing from our compliance, um, with our compliance head-on. And remembering um, a, a former boss of mine, Lisa Estrada, says there is no second line of defence for HR. It's one of the few places where we mm-hmm. don't have one. So why not, at least as a one-off, put in some kind of audit or checking process. If, you, if compliance is never the one uh, seeing the initial applications that come through, one time in the process, ask if you can see all of the applications and see whether you think HR is in fact shortlisting compliance candidates as you would like to see them and not letting people slip through the cracks that you think would be great candidates. And I think there is, and this is not to disparage any of the very talented uh, people in recruitment, but I think it does happen from time to time because compliance is relatively new and there's okay. no one set way to come into the field that it is really quite possible that HR is not screening the right candidates to get them through to interview. And so very good candidates might be missed out for whatever reason, human error, lack of experience and compliance. And so why not have yourself check uh, the next round you hire Um, The the people shortlisted really are the ones with the skills and experience that you would have shortlisted as a a subject matter expert in compliance yourself.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, You know, I certainly don't understand the tracking systems that Mm -hmm. are used for a recruitment process at all. So without that understanding, I've never gone back and checked to see, you know, have applications been sifted through that, maybe would have made uh, great candidates. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, I've never really heard from individuals who've applied who've said, Hey, I applied and didn't get the job or anything like mm-hmm. that. I'm sure those instances happen, but there, some of those could conceivably be where they're tracked out just because of the way, uh, I don't know, uh, an algorithm's written mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Or as you said, a lack of understanding for compliance. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, you know, how do we keep the tabs on those? I don't know. That's mm-hmm. without understanding how the whole recruitment process works. It, mm-hmm. it, it's difficult.
0: So. Yeah. I think you touched on this at the beginning as well. When you mentioned, you know, sometimes there can be someone that gets a role with zero compliance experience and you just think mm-hmm. surely, surely someone with <laughs> compliance experience also applied for that job. <laughs> right. Or, right. And I think all of us have been in the situation where We've read a job description and thought, wow, this literally feels like it was written for me. And (laughs) you apply super excited. You're choosing out your outfit for interview and you never (laughs) get a call back. And then, you know, in certain situations, you can even see the person that got the role and go, oh, that's a bit weird because that, you know, wasn't quite on point um, experience. And so uh, not to say that, you know, we ourselves are always going to be the best person for the job, but it does make me wonder mm-hmm. in certain circumstances, is there a weakness in uh, especially the automated s- systems? And we know that there are some cautionary words out there regarding if you have a, a more uh, infographic designed resume mm-hmm. or CV that you may not be as selected as well as just a plain text one because the system as much as technology can help us at times, it can also hinder us as well. And it just depends on what system they're using on the other side.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny and crazy to me that it's reached a point where, you know, there's a whole industry essentially on helping you create a resume (laughs) to be a tracking system. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just mind boggling to me. Uh, You know, when you think about what do you really enjoy about working with your colleagues or what makes them really successful in some of those roles? It, I, I have never, I, I can actually say, I, I've never looked back at somebody else's resume when I've ever thought about that. You know, why, why do I like working with them? A lot of it comes down to, you know, personality, their work mm-hmm. style. Um, uh, yes, of course their intelligence and how they mm-hmm. get things done. Um, but I've, I've never gone back to, you know, looking at, how they worded their resume. So it's Mm -hmm. just, I don't know, so much of the non-human element just mind boggles me now in terms Mm -hmm. of what really makes a successful hire. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, how do you balance that? Cause I also see the recruiter's side of it or the company's side. If you're in roles that are getting, you know, several several applications, it's Mm -hmm. difficult to sift through those without something like that. So I get Mm -hmm. its purpose as well. But it it just mind boggles me like when I think about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it it sounds really ridiculous when you put it like that. And it's almost it's the unfairness of first impressions that we have as humans when we make that decision in a snap second, uh, whether Mm -hmm. I like you or not is going to be really quick. And we're doing that, we're making a a robot essentially do that for us, for efficiency. And then you're making the point, (laughs) we spend so much time trying to figure out how to outsmart a robot. Is the efficiency (laughs) gain to the company, does that outweigh the greater good efficiency of all of the applicants who are doing their darndest just to get a look in? I don't know. Like, just read read the resumes, people.
1: Yeah, and I could tell you, there's been several times, uh, as you know, in compliance communication, is so important, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's been times where there's been applications where I've they've gotten through, and your personalities just don't match for whatever reason or something mm-hmm. along those lines, and it I, I don't know, it just goes back to how do you make sure that you're. Uh, countering for that as well in the hiring process. So Mm -hmm. it it just, it cracks me up. I know it's here to stay. I don't think anything's going to change about uh, companies using applicant tracking systems, but um, it it is kind of funny when there's so much time put into that.
0: Yeah, well, I know for me where I can without offending HR, uh, I will do my best to say, I'd love to help. I love the hiring process. Mm -hmm. I know you've got a lot to do. Uh, I'd be happy to receive all of the resumes and and help you shortlist. So to the extent that you can, uh, I would say to other people, feel comfortable putting up your hand and offering to help HR if if you feel like it's something that you can and would enjoy doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea.
0: So, Jared, my last question for you today, um, it would be remiss of me not to hit a substantive topic while I have a sanctions expert in the room. What's a common pitfall in trade governance programs that you think um, you'd like to draw to our attention uh, for those of us who may be more generalists and not really as good at your area?
1: Uh, There's two that come to mind. They both kind of fall under the same topic of communication, though, Um, especially over the last few years, anybody in the trade and sanction space, there's been a lot of changes, a lot of updates, whether it's from the export side or sanction side, and really being able to um, take that information, break it down, and then communicate it to the relevant parties within your organization. If you're not able to do that and aren't effective at that, then that can lead to a lot of issues down the line. Um, And I think, uh, you know, depending on how certain trade and sanctions groups are structured within organizations, sometimes that can be really difficult um, because maybe they don't have a lot of interaction at the top level, which obviously should be a concern in the first place. You need top level support. And um, some people just focus in on certain areas and are siloed, whether it's just with salespeople or just with IT that often you forget you need a holistic approach when it comes to trade and sanctions. Um, for example, I said at the beginning for trade, it involves not only the sell and movement of goods, but associated technology too. And so when you think about that, it's not just you know shipping physical goods from a one system, You also have to think a holistic approach. How does this um, affect our other IT systems? How does this affect training that we need to flow down to people who are having cross-border communications? So it's really, you need to take that whole organization-level approach and really communicate that um, related to the changes. And um, the second thing I would say is revolved more around the training aspect and really training the focus groups that are impacted by your regulations and keeping it relevant to them that they can tell you in a measurable way that the behaviors are being driven in a right way. And that's what a lot of the training is supposed to be all across compliance, right? Behavior dri- driven. You're, yep. You have a reason why you're doing it and just spewing um, (laughs) regulatory language isn't going to work a lot of times. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's some very intelligent people in the sector I'm in, in aerospace and defense. I mean, I talk to engineers and Mm -hmm. I'm just blown away by how intelligent they are. But one thing that they always ask for, and I always have to get better at too, because it's not an easy task, is taking what the regulations require, breaking it down to something specific Mm -hmm. to why it matters for that engineer or when and why it matters to your sales organization. Mm -hmm. And if you can make it understandable to them, Mm -hmm. then you're going to have a lot more confidence that your behaviors are being driven that you need uh, within the regulation. So uh, the last few years, I'd say those are the two big things that have been um, very complex and very important uh, for trade, trade compliance in general and can be a common pitfall. If you, if you don't train, Right in an understandable way or communicate across the organization, uh, you can leave a lot of gaps, especially Mm -hmm. as things change.
0: Awesome. That's great advice. Thank you so much for that. And also um, taking the time to share some opportunities for reflection in our compliance programs with the hiring. I think we spend a lot of time with our heads down dealing with reactive substantive stuff. And so taking... Um, a proactive approach to something that makes our function better and ideally more ethical. I think this episode has been great for that, so thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Mary. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Well, to wrap up today's episode, dear listener, I have a big vent about a certain aspect of compliance culture and, well, sorry, not compliance culture. Uh, It's what I do for my day job, Um, about uh, (laughs) the hiring culture in the United States, which, uh, may be imprudent of me, given that uh, my American guest is still in the room. And so if you're listening to this podcast, uh, statistically, it's more likely than not that you are an American. Um, that's our the, the largest base of our listenership. And I'm a guest, of course, in this country. So I'd like to comment that Team America does a lot of things really well. Junk food and Hollywood movies are amongst my favorite. But in terms of an area which I'm really... Confused about, and I think some of you have heard this story before. Um, my team uh, was hiring for an admin assistant in Singapore. This is going back 10 years now. And we got a, a, a greeting card in the mail from one of the candidates thanking us for the interview. And I fell about laughing. And um, even though it was Singapore, it just so happened that all of my colleagues uh, were American in the compliance department. And they were looking at me both amused and bemused at the same time and when I finally managed to catch my breath I was saying oh this is so creepy getting this note in the mail and the Americans said no this is totally normal and I was blown away by that because in New Zealand the process is that once you've attended a job interview at the end, you as the candidate say, thank you. The hiring manager says, thank you. And there's an equal exchange of gratitude for time and consideration. And then you as the candidate do not hassle the, uh, the the company in any way. You go back to your daily life and wait for your notification as to whether or not you've made it to the next round or got the job or whatever the next notification is, And so I give a lot of thought to this because very often I see on LinkedIn, people make the very, what I think is a bold statement. Oh, I would never hire someone that didn't send me a thank you note at the end. And so probably this would actually uh, screen out a lot of foreigners if we don't do the same process, but it also concerns me a little bit because I think when we expect the candidate to go back to the company unilaterally and essentially argue the case for themselves again. I I believe you're supposed to put a little line in there about not only grateful for the opportunity, but give a reminder as to why you are the best person for the job. And I think that's a bit weird too, because if they just spoke to you 24 hours ago and you made your case as to why you're the best candidate, why are you reminding them? If they've forgotten, you're probably not the best person for the job and your note card is not going to trigger that. Oh, I forgot this person is really so great. I should hire them. So I'd like to question the not only the logistics of that, but also I, I feel like this reinforces and, and re-emphasizes the power imbalance that enables companies to treat candidates poorly. If you have to go back and grow to the company and you're the only one saying thank you, as if they've done you a massive favor by considering you for this job that they need filled, you're the one that's supposed to be helping them if you get the job. Um, I think this perpetuates uh, the ability for companies to treat their candidates poorly. So that's just me basically trying to force my culture onto the rest of you. Um, As always, (laughs) feel free to share your comments and thoughts with Lisa and myself on that. If you think I'm completely out of line and you will never give up your greeting card uh, for anything, well, just let me know so that I can stock up and get my Uh, reserves in order for the next time I start applying for jobs. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We look forward to you joining us next week. Take good care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.